Nah, that one was all me. Yeah. It's first day. Yeah, here, so I, we're going to talk about a lot of news today. I've got, how many articles do I have up that I want to make sure, I've got four articles that I want to make sure we talk about, uh, but we should start with, happy birthday to you. Oh, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> A million years ago, at my very first job, my boss realized that I had some sort of a natural talent and for some reason, a desire to keep working in restaurants. And he took me aside and he said, Randall, you could be really good at this and you could go far if you could just learn to keep your mouth shut. If you're listening to this, you'll know I took part of that advice. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to In the Weeds with Ben Randall. I am Ben Randall. And I'm Stephen Cadwell. And it is Steve's birthday today. And it don't is. worry, I gave him his birthday presents yesterday. <laughs> so for the first time, I think in our uh, friendship, I was early for your birthday presents. <laughs> you know, I haven't been keeping track, but I'll agree. <laughs> so, uh, yes, today was my first official full production day back to work, which is... Um, was a little anticlimactic, to be completely honest with you. Ladies and gentlemen, if this is your first episode, welcome. I run the all-scratch food service for a K-8 through eight, uh, private school here in Chicago, and if you feel like your first reaction is to derogatorily call me a lunch lady, let me just tell you, this is the best fucking job I've ever had in my life. <laughs> uh, there is something to be said for working in restaurants and hotels and butcher shops and all of that kind of stuff, but man, that is a game for the young. I am very happy to be at the age where I need to be spending a lot of good time with my kids working at the exact same times that they're in school. Because then we're all off together, and it's rad. Yeah. But today we fed the faculty and staff who are new this year to the school where I work, which is not very many of them, because apparently it's just as hard to hire teachers as it is to hire cooks. And then they're like... Uh, training managers and such department heads things like that it was a total of 50 people probably and uh hitch free thing went off without a hitch and it was great nice so anticlimactic is a good thing 100 percent. so there's a there's an old old uh charlie brown cartoon that i think about a lot which is lucy is standing in left field and charlie brown is pitching and she yells it's boring out here let him hit it and then the next panel is her standing there, and you just see the big word, crack, right? It's like a onomatopoetic word. And then in the next panel, a line drive just creams her. It's one of those classic <laughs> Peanuts things where, like, her shoes come off and all that. And then in the final panel, she says, let's go back to boring, exciting hurts. <laughs> and I felt like that's a mantra that I, I wouldn't be too, too sad about having in my life. Yes, yeah, it's and and it's not. Uh, I, I feel like after the past couple of years, you've earned boring <laughs> at work. I would hope so. I mean, for fifty people, my staff and I served breakfast and lunch, a mid-morning coffee break with snacks, and a mid-afternoon break with snacks and sodas. To do all of that from scratch is well within our wheelhouse. I'm not going to say that we were actually bored, but I, I believe we talked about this a little bit. We're over two hurdles, right? When you, when you hire somebody new into your crew, you have to train them on three things. You have to train them on the menu, 
But before you get to that, you have to train them on how your operation operates, right? So for my company, there are like very particular trainings that new employees have to go through. And then there's also the hurdle of they've got to get to know the other staff and jive with them, right? Because everybody on my crew this year, starting today, is returning. They all know each other. They've all been trained. They all know what to do. We just have to do the last part. We just have to make the food. It's weird to be in a position where we're just doing the job, <laughs> if that makes any sense. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, because even when you were fully staffed, you know, a couple of years ago when everything was hitting the fan, you couldn't just make the food because yeah. there were so many other things uh, involved in the process. So, um, Well, and I was thinking about that, too. The last time I was fully staffed with people who had all been trained and all that, we instantly went into COVID. So, ladies and gentlemen, buckle the fuck up. There's a chance right around november this year we're going to start hearing about a new COVID, and it will be my fault at that point we will have two data points ben's fully staffed <laughs> equals pandemic <laughs> i hope it does not come to pass yeah hopefully there'll be another vaccine soon uh to aid in preventing that but uh yeah i think we should also say by boring i think we just mean uneventful or yeah, uh, yeah. you know uh predictable not necessarily unenjoyable so I was just up in Traverse City, Michigan for a weekend. It was a very bomb up, bomb back kind of trip. So if you live up there and you listen to this show, um, weird coincidence, but I'm sorry I didn't tell you I was going to be up there, but I was just up there to see my brother and his wife and his three kids because I just don't get to see my nephews and my niece as often as I would like. We went canoeing on the Manistee River with a bunch of my brother's friends. Now I think of my brother, who I always call my kid brother, as being about... 19. He's 41, right? <laughs> so it was shocking, absolutely shocking to me to hear these kids that I watched, you know, by the time I left home and I was 18, they were 14. They were in like peak fucking stuff up boys being raised in the 90s era, right? That's kind of where they've stayed in my head. These guys are talking about divestments on their retirement programs and they're talking about property taxes and all this stuff. And I was just like, you know what? This is not the conversation I expected to have <laughs> with with these fellas. Uh, and it was weird. It was very, very weird to, to, to be in those conversations. Yeah. I don't know. One of the things they talked about I, that, that was brought to mind because one of the things that they talked about was whether or not we were going to get another round of vaccines coming our way going into the school year. Aha. Uh -huh. Because they're, are they, they're all parents? Yeah. Yeah. Makes sense. Makes sense. And uh, the answer is yes. Uh, I just saw an article on it, but I also Googled it the other day. Um, or perhaps I binged it, which still that doesn't roll off the tongue <laughs> as well. Um, right. But uh, I did look it up the other day because I, I forget why. Um and it mentioned that they were expecting um, some new vaccines for the fall. We were also looking. I was also looking up when the flu shot yeah. was, which is September, right? Usually, usually is yeah. So, because um, yeah, I'm gonna get that again too. It uh, is not a thing that historically I did, but I believe we've covered that on this show. Now that I work for a school where I'm encountering anybody between ages four and like 85, yeah, I get the flu shot these days. Um, speaking of, this reminded me of this for some reason. I don't know why, but uh, I I don't know if this was on your list, uh, and it may have happened before we recorded last time. But I'm just curious as to if there is any Schadenfreude 
over your recent visit to the carcass of CJ's. So we have not talked about this. And ladies and gentlemen, longtime listeners, you'll know that the job I had previous to this, Steve actually worked there with me at a place that we were calling CJ's. Because when we started this show, it was the current job, which is what CJ stood for and always will stand for, which is funny because it's no longer my current job. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I happened to be in the south of Chicago where that place was located uh, because my son had a camp that was happening at the Adler Planetarium. Now, a couple of details about that. I live in the northwest side of Chicago, so the Adler Planetarium is an hour away. So I'm driving an hour each direction to take my son to a camp uh, during Lollapalooza. So there was really <laughs> no good way to get there or back. And so one of those days, I, rather than fighting the afternoon traffic, because there was like, it wasn't just picking him up, there was a whole presentation to go to right and as a parent you make these decisions you're like well i guess i'm gonna go down early and fuck around because i'm gonna spend that same amount of time so if i drive through downtown at two in the afternoon on a friday and fuck around for two hours and then go to this presentation or if i drive through chicago at four it's the same thing because it'll still take me two hours and i may as well take that time to fuck around yeah so i went to yes the now closed shuttered vacant location of cj's i think i texted you that i was surprised by how much nostalgia i had for the place and then i waited for you to respond because i was teeing you up and then i said because it's zero it is zero <laughs> nostalgia and it occurred to me it was the first time i'd been back down there since i left it's been seven and a half years usually i go and at least check a place out after i've quit nope not this joint yeah it was um so it was news to me. I, I, you had filled me in on some of the goings on, but I hadn't realized they had completely relocated and are yeah. a much smaller operation now. Well, and they were a casualty of COVID. So, yeah. I mean, for whatever other, like, I don't, I don't bear them all that much ill will, maybe a little bit, but not a ton. But they were definitely a casualty of COVID. It's not like you and I left and the whole place folded. Right, right. Well, I mean, things happened. And not things because also of me happened. by any means, but when you left. You know what I did find out? My no. replacement at the school, uh, yeah, I can probably say that because they're not there anymore. Whatever. I worked for a school previously. That's what CJ's was. Uh, she died. Oh, no. I don't have any details at all, but I went over to Pedro's and got tacos. So there was a fellow who worked for me as a cook in that place. And after I left, he had been sort of toying with the idea of leaving anyway. And ladies and gentlemen, you don't buy loyalty like you get out of somebody like Pedro. He was thinking for at least a year about leaving working for me and opening his own taco shop. But until I told my crew that I was leaving, he didn't feel like it would be a cool thing to do to me. And so he immediately uh, left, well, not immediately, but he left after I left uh, and opened up a taco shop and has been successful for like six years. When I was in there, mm, two o'clock in the afternoon on a, thurs a Thursday, Friday, when did I go to get tacos from, I don't recall, whatever day it was. I'm on vacation, right? <laughs> he was jamming. I was not expecting him to be jamming and he was jamming. So I was really pretty happy with that. But yeah, he told me she died. And oh. no details at all. Just, she died. In interesting. I don't know if that's the right word. Uh, tragic. Um, one she was either my age or a little younger. What, what about her successor, your former employee? He now works at a hospital food service somewhere. The okay. joke there being, he was in such poor health, that's probably a good move for him to work at a hospital. 
Hospital food service is great if you get the right one. Same as school food service is great if you get the right one. I happen to be in the right one, but I've got people in my networks who have been at the same hospital job forever, not because they're stuck, but because they dig it. Yeah. Can't can't fault them for that. Now, that would be the same sort of situation that you're looking at as well in terms of even where you are now, where a lot of those are going to be run by uh, Aramark or... Or whatever, Sodexo, right? Meridian, yeah, yeah. Because um, I was just, I was just wondering because he he strikes me as someone who would need a little room for creativity yeah. or to make the things that he wants, and I don't. So if it's the right hospital, then it it I imagine would not be run by one of those, or because I can't imagine there being that much room to wiggle in those right. uh, sort of outfits, right? Especially if you're doing um, dietary restrictive patient like individual patient meals yeah you have to be very very careful so interesting the, you know that anyone that really wants to dig in and do some research there in uh um there was a series what was it it was philip k dicks something or other and it was hbo or it was amazon that used cjs for filming um for right, one of right, the right, episodes right. uh it was um, I could look it up, but I'm not that. Uh, to be honest, I never watched that episode. <laughs> I did. I know what you're talking about. I did. I didn't finish the series. I watched because I'm a Philip K. Dick fan um, yeah. as much as one can be or as much as I can be. I'm sure there are other people that are much bigger fans of Philip K. Dick than I am. But I enjoy Philip K. Dick. He was depressed and he didn't particularly care for women. But, um, yeah, uh, you know, he was he was a um, sci fi good sci fi writer. Uh, it, most of the time. <laughs> yeah, I would say his later works where he got super meta and there would be like time travelers that would come back and want to interview these luminaries who were uh, had such foresight and such forethought and like predicted the future. And the way that they found these people was by going to Comic-Con and talking to Philip K. Dick himself. I'm like, man, how did this get published? You got to chill out. You know, you can't make yourself Jesus in your own book. Right. Yeah. Weird. <laughs> Well, the most recent one I've read that I hadn't read is um, Ubik, which I would have said was Ubik before reading it, but it's short for Ubiquitous. So it's ah. Ubik. And um, that book, uh, it's not really a book. It's not a novel. It's uh, shorter than that. So novella, maybe? Yep. I don't know. Uh, is a that hot mess. That tended to be his speed. Yeah. Uh, uh, Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep? I think is fine. But uh, uh, Ubik is, uh, there are so many things as like, Philip K. Dick, it seems like you hated this at some point and you just decided you were going to kill the book because everything you needed was right there at the beginning and then you just shat upon it, um, mm. which is maybe how he was feeling at the time. Anyway, they use that <laughs> that space for filming, which is architecturally unique. That's what one of the things I texted you. Uh, I was like, I wonder yeah. if they're going to demolish or if they're going to try to reuse it because random people would show up just to view the architecture because yeah. of what it was and where it um, where it exists in the architecture world. Um, so I'm I am curious as to what will happen, whether it will become occupied or whether it will uh, uh, get demolished. But uh, watching that was interesting as well. It's like seeing somebody you know in a role, and it because it just takes you out of it. Yeah, you know, yeah. you're like that. I know what, that. I know what that is. <laughs> That's not that thing you you're saying that it is. Um, but but it was I think supposed to be a school of sorts in the episode, so that worked out. But I was just like, oh, that's I right behind that screen's where I used to stand and uh, work. Right. So it you know it'd be like seeing your mom on TV or something and be like, mom, that's 
No, no, no. She's the president. No, she's not. No, she's not the president. <laughs> yeah. I my know mom, her. My mom back in the day would have been a pretty good president, but not now. <laughs> yeah. Man. All right. So any other little bits and pieces before we get into our uh, our articles today? No. All right. So because uh, it's all bad news. How bad do we want to go? Uh, uh, let's start with the worst first. So it's not all bad news, but I am. Let's let's start with uh, human mutilation. So this is from AP Ionia, Michigan. Steve, you're did you send this grounds. to me? I don't, I don't. I think I did. Oh, oh, maybe I didn't realize it was Ionia. Okay. Meat processor ordered to pay fines after teen lost hand in grinder. So that's horrible. Right, everything about that sentence is horrible. Every, everything about that headline is horrible. So, the short story here is that a 17-year-old kid was working at a meat business and lost his hand in a meat grinder. I can't think of a more horrible thing to watch happen. Yeah. In that, that's like that's conceivable, right? Like, yes, it would be horrible to watch myself get attacked by a shark. That's not going to happen, right? But like. This is the sort of thing that I, not this particular piece of equipment, but I'm around things that are as dangerous as a meat grinder constantly. And I can't imagine it, right? The So that's terrible. 17-year-old working in a meat business, possibly not terrible, right? Uh, but actually, this was two years ago, even though it's just being reported on right now for some reason. This article is from last week. Yeah. So this is in Saranac, 25 miles east of Grand Rapids. Oh, interesting. I had missed this part. Uh, Darren Wilbur, who's the owner of the meat business, quote, was investigated for an employing a minor in hazardous work and not getting work permits. He pleaded guilty. So, okay, so now this is terrible because you can work at 17. You just have to have, uh, uh, you know, kid labor permits you have to get a work permit right yeah so apparently that didn't happen well and it, it, it does mention that um in two months he would have been 18 so it does make me wonder is like did they hire him being like well you know we're not going to fill this out because in three months or whatever it is he's going to be 18 and we don't have to worry about it and then this is like day two on the job or yeah. you know or pretty early on the job um but you know that's you got to do you got to follow the process so the truly horrible thing about this ladies and gentlemen and i want to i really want to tee this up because you would think the horrible thing about this is that a child lost his hand in a meat grinder the truly horrible thing about this is that the owner of the meat business was fined one thousand one hundred and forty three dollars so as of right now we all know exactly the value that ionia michigan places on a 17 year old's hand yeah 1100 bucks i must we know if that went to the kid we also don't know that no way this is uh no it did not that but i was gonna say i presume that whoever this was can sue as well because this is just a fine because they didn't file the paperwork so i mean when you think of it that way it's a 1100 fine for not submitting paperwork um, versus for a kid losing his hand. Um, that's not a ruling about that. Um, so that could that may have already happened, or it could be in the future if this person decide or their family decides to sue. And hell, I would. 
Yes, me too. This kid was a high school dropout, and the owner, Wilbur, said that he had hired the teen as a way of helping him out. Um, and if he ends up getting a massive civil suit payout, then yes, this fellow would have helped him out. Yeah. Uh, it's interesting that Wilbur, the owner of the place, has a defense attorney ready to go. Because if they do sue him in a civil sense, how can you possibly defend yourself, right? That kid, he was a minor when it happened. He cannot possibly be held responsible for his own actions. Like, there is no, it was the kid's fault. Yeah. <sighs> he wasn't the, trespassing. The, the, exactly. Well, did he sneak in there? Yeah. So if he broke in and, and fired up the grinder, then yeah, that's different. Not indicated in this article. That number just bothers me. 1100 bucks. Yeah. Yeah, it is rather uh, rather low. Um, and uh, I... Do we dare mention the name of the place? It's here in the article. Um, because I think it's it's a rather comical... Uh... So is it U.S. guys processing, as in United States, or us guys? <laughs> yeah, I think it's got to be us guys processing, but they mean U.S. Yeah. Either way, uh, it, terrible name. Could be worse. I mean, there's a lot of places around now that are called, like... Yeah, left hand brewing or that sort of thing. So if it had been something like that, big mitten grinders, then that would have made it way worse. <laughs> oh, <laughs> flangy manglers, meat processing. <laughs> so of course, like now, this fellow is no longer a minor because this happened in 2019. So he's clearly 20 years old by now. I, I mean, we wish him the best. I hope everything works out. I hope he sues the crap out of this place or already did. I mean, it's possible that this has already gone to litigation. I wonder why it is. It took so long for this fellow to be fined when this happened two and a half years ago. Yeah, so uh, if anybody out there knows more about this or why it is this would have only cost the business 1100 bucks, even though a child was mutilated, uh, we would love to at least know why and how. Like, obviously, I'm not morbidly interested in diving into all of these things in any sort of a weirdo way, but I would like to know whether or not this fellow was taken care of. So if anybody has any information, please feel free to get it to us. Easiest way is in the weeds WBR at gmail.com. My Instagram is Chef Ben Randall. Uh, we have a Facebook page and a Facebook group. If you just search for In the Weeds with Ben Randall and Steve runs a website for us. In the weeds WBR.com. Yeah. Um, I can tell you this, unless you were going to say more. Nope. Um, because I clicked on the thing from woodtv.com. The uh, owner of uh, yada yada uh, was ordered Tuesday to pay a $500 fine, a $500 cost, and two fees totaling $143, and any residual restitution owed to the 17-year-old. Ooh, that's a big clause in that sentence. Yeah. He said that the jail would have been symbolic but not impactful, so that's why um, there was no jail time. I think the horror of the incident and obvious remorse expressed by Mr. Wilbur assures the court that this is not likely to happen again, the judge said, saying that jail would be merely symbolic but not impactful. The, the it's, thing, it's tremendously scary. 
Yeah, and the thing that's, I mean, it's kind of, uh, he's like, two months later, we wouldn't even be here, Voight said. That's the judge. But, and, uh, because then it would have been an adult, but he still would have lost a hand. Yeah. Yeah. If he was 18. So, um, yeah, I don't know. Wow. Yep, yep, yep. Be careful around those meat grinders, kids. Simple Absolutely, for sure. Simple as that. Um, you want to go from bad news to bad news? May as well. Food safety news, ladies and gentlemen. Once again, I'm, I, I highly recommend uh, signing on to get their email updates. Unless, of course, you're already nervous about the food you're eating, in which case, don't. Sign up to get food safety news, sending you bad news every day into your email. This is from, yeah, again, last week, August 9th. Risk in foodborne diseases expected due to climate change. Rise. Rise. Wow. Rise in foodborne diseases expected due to climate change. So the short story on this one is as things warm up globally, uh, pathogens just do better. Things which we all know because of the danger zone, right? Between 40 degrees and 140 degrees, bacteria produce, reproduces more quickly, right? And so the, the gist of this article is as sea level, uh, as sea temperatures rise and as the air temperature rises and all of that kind of stuff, things that would have normally had their populations decreased through winter freezes, things that would have... Uh, grown in your food as far as pathogens are concerned fairly slowly because it's chilly out no longer are going to continue to have that check on them the warmer stuff is the more likely pathogens and bacteria and viruses and stuff are going to be reproducing quickly and that means that your food is going to be more well potentially more dangerous yeah and this is um this is coming to us from Europe, though it would be true over here as well. Uh, but I was some of these I've never heard of. Some well, of like these... Campylobacter? Yeah. And Vibrio? Yeah. Campylobacter. Yep. It sounds uh, like a dinosaur. Cryptosporidium I have heard of, but I feel like it was an X-Files episode. And Vibrio <laughs> I thought was a like a Airbnb-type place. <laughs> no, I think it's a, um, it was a competitor to um, Zune. <laughs> just hit me up on vibrio but so i mean once again climate change is bad climate change is really happening it's it does happen cyclically in the structure of our planet but we have made it happen so much faster and so much more disastrously like look currently have you been following the uh, fires on maui steve oh just a little bit it's so heartbreaking yeah, and it's one of those things where, like, you get a couple of degree increase in temperature, and all of a sudden, lots of wood is a lot drier than it should be, and you get one fire that turns into a gigantico thing. And it's just as simple as changing one of the characteristics of a system, and then when something goes wrong, that characteristic leads to a catastrophe. Yeah. One of the things, this study that was done in Germany talking about the foodborne illness risk increase because of climate change really did a good job of looking at not just like, oh, it's warmer out, so, you know, bacteria is going to reproduce more quickly. Quote, 
Climate change can result in higher air and water temperatures, increased precipitation, or water scarcity. For example, in the future, agriculture may have to rely more on treated wastewater due to water shortages. This poses a risk to food safety because of possible contamination of irrigated produce by pathogens, said researchers. Short story on that, if we're using human wastewater to irrigate and fertilize crops because we don't have enough water to spare, there's a higher chance... Pants hates this idea. Yeah. <laughs> There's a much higher chance that something is going to go wrong in the treatment of that water as opposed to zero chance if it's just water. So that's what I'm saying about, like, you change one characteristic and it turns into a catastrophe. Yeah. Um, speaking of catastrophe, did you look at the comments? <laughs> I generally try not to, especially yeah. with something. Because the thing is, I am not a climate scientist. That is yes. why we have climate scientists. I am not a dentist. That's why we have dentists, right? right? I am not a politician. That's why we have politicians. And so the folks who say that climate change is a hoax, you have to ask the very simple question, which is who benefits from it then? Because if you're pulling off a hoax, the idea is to benefit from it somehow. Nobody benefits from this thing being real. That's why people are talking about it, right? And so... It would be like someone saying, well, teeth are a hoax. You're like, no, teeth are not a hoax. You have to go to the dentist every so often. That's just why they exist, right? Uh, but people are resistant to change, and for some reason, established science has been politicized. Well, uh, not even that, but I do want to just draw your attention to the, the – it's the topmost comment on mine um, uh, because it's, um, I, it's Looney Tunes. Ooh, it starts with government weather manipulation via aerial spraying across the globe. Wow. Yes. Wow, D. Burke. Yeah, and then later on, Bill Gates actually says he wants to block more of the sun by aerial spraying. If Ugh. if the government was was actually manipulating the weather via aerial spraying, they're doing a terrible job. Yeah. Because the weather ain't been great. <laughs> you know, it's not like the weather's gotten better. So any, anyway, I just thought that was bananas. So um, even I, I would and just not something I would have expected on the food safety news website like that people with cons these conspiracy theories would be commenting on food safety news. But I guess when you're an Internet troll, you're you're troll everything. You don't stick to yeah. I mean, there's not a lane you necessarily stick to you. Uh, you need to get that message about the aerial spraying and weather manipulation out to anyone and everyone. Mm -hmm. um, so, wow. Yep, yep. Anyway, I don't need to talk about that anymore. Just struck me as funny. Unreal. Uh, I yeah, that's it doesn't it does not bear, you know, pumping oxygen into something like that. Yeah. Indeed. There is the red tide in Florida, which is a bacteria or an algae bloom that happens has been worse every year, year over year, for the last five or six years, to the point where it's becoming a like a public health hazard. You can't go in the water. And it's just one of those things that, like, it's almost worthwhile to just, like, why don't we have somebody go out and just point to it and go, see? That. All <laughs> right? Because that's exactly what it is. You have sea temperatures rising to a certain point where things that then bloom and die – 
don't have the die part. And so the next time they bloom, they're blooming from a higher base population, and they're doing that every time. Yeah. And it's it's just math, right? Like, I feel like people who are angry about this stuff and say that it's a hoax are just angry because they were bad at math when they were kids. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. So, again, not great news. In better news, because uh, I went up to Traverse City and then came back down after two days, and um, about half of my tomatoes were ripe, and I had some more monster cucumbers. So whatever is going on in the climate, at least in my backyard, <laughs> things are great. Well, it's because you keep aerial spraying back there to uh, control the weather in your backyard. So Not everybody can know Bill Gates as well as I do, so <laughs> it is nice that he concentrates the aerial spraying like right over my house. Yes, yes. We don't live far from the airport. There's a lot of airplanes. Most of them are aerial spraying all the time. Yeah, so. yeah. They are. They're all of them constantly, yeah. Um. <laughs> Sorry, I got a little lost because I didn't see this thing before the uh, one of your articles, the uh, um, the employee message. Um, oh, do you want to talk about that? Sure. I mean, I just noticed it. I was like, oh, my goodness. That's I kind of got lost in it as you were talking because I was like, what is this madness? Speaking of crazy... Yeah, so I belong to the Chicago uh, Facebook group for hospitality workers, right? And this came up. This is a restaurant that has a location in Iowa City, Iowa, and in... Palos Hills? Palos, yeah, Palos, Palos Hills, Hills, Illinois. This is a an employee message that was printed out that shows up i guess for everybody but it looks like it was printed off of a ticket machine so i'm not entirely certain what i'm looking at so maybe it was one of those things where i know some of the point of sale computers when you clock in if there's like a an event or there's a message of the day or there's some sort of communication it can come up on there right so maybe this is that yeah it's from august 3rd this year to all employees effective immediately we are moving to a new pay rate structure as follows one employees who are observed on camera or by other employees, doing a minimum amount of paid work that is beneficial to the, and then the name of the business is scratched out, but I happen to know it's this uh, uh, Valley Inn restaurant. Valley Inn business will be paid minimum wage for that entire day's work. Two, employees who wish to earn more than minimum wage will earn their current pay rate and shall be eligible for periodic raises and or bonuses. Three, any employee may clock out for a break with the approval of the supervisor on duty unless otherwise designated. The super supervisor on duty is the person present that has been employed at Valley in the longest. There are no paid breaks. This was in all caps. Four, if any employee would like to earn a $20, quote, snitch bonus, write out a note with date, place, and time so that camera footage may be observed. Finally, those employees who have demonstrated a flawless work ethic for the last 30 days may apply for a $50 bonus. All employees will have a vote on the payment of this bonus, and the vote cast must be unanimous. Put a note in the drop safe if you wish to be considered, and tell us why that you feel you are worthy. Sincerely, sincerely, this word is misspelled. Yes. The ghosts of Valley Inn, and we see you. Which is... Uh, not even a veiled threat by yeah. the management who are uh, telling the staff we've been watching you on the cameras we don't think you're working hard enough we're cutting everybody's pay and we're only going to pay more than minimum wage to the people who are doing more than minimum work everything in that note i would say up to and including the note itself is illegal 
under labor law. Yeah. Uh, and I hope that the employees ran for the hills. Right. Right. And again, I because I thought it was the Palos Hills location that did this, but I was corrected. It was the one that's out in Iowa because they do have two stores. Oh, so the so that that didn't come from the Illinois one. No. No. Oh, you know what's interesting? Valley Inn in Palos Hills was on Restaurant Impossible with Robert Irvine. Oh. Maybe he told them about how to put cameras up and spy on your staff and then intimidate them. Yeah. So I posed this question to you, Stephen. I already know what my answer is. You come into work one day and you find out that essentially arbitrarily, based on security camera footage, your pay, whatever your pay rate might be, could go down to minimum wage for a day if the people watching the cameras think you're not working hard enough. However, they have offered to you that you could make an extra 20 bucks for every one of your coworkers you rat out, and you could make an extra 50 bucks if you're working your tail off and you get everybody else in the restaurant to agree. Well, how do you feel about that as an employee? I, I'm leaving. <laughs> yeah, I quit immediately. I quit yes. as soon as I read all of that. I don't like, even I don't even. In. I don't even tell anybody. Yep, I just walk out. Yep. And I block the restaurant's phone number on my phone, and I get a new job immediately. But I do screenshot, name and shame, and uh, in this particular hiring climate, I'm getting a new job by like 3.30 this afternoon. Yeah. So we've talked about this before, ladies and gentlemen. Your bosses cannot fuck with your pay. We keep seeing restaurant owners being fined, jailed, restaurants closing, and all of this kind of stuff because they're doing things like managers are taking tips. They're doing things like uh, not paying overtime. They're doing things like you are quitting, so they're cutting you down to minimum wage, and you have to train your replacement. They're doing all sorts of shit like this. And it's all illegal, and they only get away with it if you don't call them out on it, if you don't call the labor board, if you don't call the attorney general of your state. All of this yeah. kind of stuff. They cannot fuck with your money. So if you have signed paperwork, and especially like a W-2 and tax forms and such, saying you're going to get paid a certain amount if you stop getting paid that amount call the police call everybody and then also just out of solidarity for everybody else in the industry in your area name and shame too many of these groups on like facebook or whatever don't do that they just say looking for a job whatever and then the backstory is oh well the last place fucked with my money tell everybody what that place is because you don't want people to have to go through that yeah and yeah, it just it's again just ludicrous to me that um, some people thought. What did they think this was going to do to morale? <laughs> right. I mean, what what was the issue that they were solving for, other than they felt like they were entitled for, uh, th they felt like their employees were ungrateful for the pittance they were probably initially being paid. Um, which I, at least seems to be over minimum, but if these are like if this is wait staff, it's got to be like minimum for wait staff, right? Because this is printed out on like a, a ticket printer, yeah. Uh, or so one would a receipt printer. So one would think this was. Uh, I mean, uh, I wouldn't think it would be back of house anyway, but no. I don't know. I mean, if you if you really want like the worst footage of all time, put a camera in the back of the house and then try to figure <laughs> out who's working harder than everybody else. I did look up their Google uh, thing. They they have um, 
Uh, this is on the... Oh, let me, here we go. Google reviews. So most of the reviews um, are six years ago, five years ago, five years ago, six years ago, five years ago. And then there are two. One from a, a day ago, one from two days ago. The a day ago says, owner creates an awful environment for employees, including denying them paid breaks. Hopefully someone reports them to the Department of Labor. And then the one from two days ago says, staff and service were great, but the owner kept harassing the staff, talking about how, quote, the ghost told me you were on the phone, then waved a $20 bill around asking other employees if they had seen the infraction too. Weird. <laughs> Which I can only imagine was written by an employee to illustrate yeah. the thing that we, uh, uh, or, or someone who knows an employee. Um, but uh, yeah, so that's two negative reviews in the past couple days. We'll see if that trend continues. Well, and it's worth repeating here, even though we've said it on this show before, ladies and gentlemen, when you're looking at any reviews on any review website, keep in mind that if there is a bad review or a series of bad reviews and then a bunch of positive reviews right after that, that kind of address the bad reviews, those are the owners or people who work there who were told by the owners to put good reviews up, right? Yes. That's, that's exactly what that is. Absolutely. And it happens. I've seen it happen. I've never done it, but I've seen it happen. Yeah, it's it's, it's so hard anymore to trust any uh, any review system on any website. Yeah. But, anywho, interesting, <laughs> interesting. More All right. more owners behaving badly. Right, right. Because that's what we needed is more of those. Yeah. <laughs> I blame the aerial spraying. <laughs> <laughs> Red's Bill Gates' fault for sure. <laughs> so in as much as we've already talked about somebody losing their hand we're talking about people losing their jobs things are getting way worse out in the world why don't we get back to just like old-fashioned murder sure well i know this about old-fashioned but yeah well fair this is from the washington post uh a couple of days ago again august 9th headline she invited four people over for lunch a week later three were dead so Short story on this one, Steve. There is a kind of mushroom called the death cap mushroom. Yes. Amanita phalloides. One of the deadliest known mushrooms to humans. Two couples, this is a quote from the article, two couples were invited to lunch at a palatial country home in the state of Victoria one Saturday. This is in uh, Australia. In late July, they included a local pastor and his wife. All four were known to locals as pillars of the tight-knit rural community. That night, they all became seriously ill with what appeared to be food poisoning. A week later, three of the four were dead. One man remains in a hospital in critical condition, awaiting a liver transplant. The host of the gathering, a woman in her 40s, and her two children were unharmed. This is not a mushroom, just by looking at it right now, that you accidentally get a hold of. It is pretty distinct. It's kind of greeny-yellow, and it looks a little sick. It doesn't look tasty. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I, I've never forged for mushrooms, so I don't know what, like, um, how to tell a bad mushroom from a good mushroom. So I don't know how, how it compares to, like, mushrooms that you would have in the big. This is a good mushroom for me to just find in the forest and eat. So, and I think, so it was the CNN article. There's an art. Uh, this was a few places. So if you look up, um, uh, you know, death cap mushroom poisoning, you, should, you can probably find any of these. Uh, but some interesting things in terms of like, uh, because it was like, well, this could have just been an accident, but they seized some things, including a food dehydrator from the local yep. landfill. Yeah. Um, so it had already been thrown away, but they seized that and they seized some stuff from the house to get tested. 
And according to, I think, the CNN article, um, it was a um, like a Beef Wellington sort of a situation. Oh, okay. That was that made. That had a, a mushroom duck cell in it. Um, yeah, and uh, uh, although you know she wouldn't, she wouldn't say initially what she had um, cooked when asked. And um, was it the one article I was reading? Uh, must have been CNN. Oh no, maybe it was the Guardian that was telling us the what it was um, that she had prepared. Um, uh, yeah, so beef Wellington pie. Yes. Um, Guardian Australia understands that the lunch behind the suspected poison included a beef wellington pie as its main course. Uh, but she, when they asked her questions, just went back into her house. <laughs> so this is from the Washington Post. Quote, police have not named those who died, but according to local media reports, they were the host's parents-in-law. Right. right. So lady has her mother and father-in-law over for lunch, and uh, they die. Further down the article, quote, in a potential twist... In the Australian case that was seized on by local media, the lunch party's host's estranged husband nearly died last year from what he described as serious gut problems. This is in line with the symptoms of this particular mushroom poisoning. Oh, but he su- he survived. He survived. Why? Is his ex-husband? Yes. Why ex-husband recently? This I just- was wonder Last why year. why your ex-in-laws would be going over like uh why why you'd go over to your ex daughter-in-law's place for dinner you got me but basically the way that I, and I, I i am not an investigative journalist or a detective or anything like that the way this article is written it is saying that the facts of this are lady has two couples over to her house one of the couples is her ex-in-laws they die in the same way that her husband was sickened the previous year. Uh-huh. Her ex-husband. So, uh, I mean, as far as I am able to discern, this lady is some sort of a now-accomplished mushroom killer. Yeah. Okay, so this, uh, this again comes from The Guardian. The death cap is the world's most toxic mushroom and is responsible for about 90% of mushroom-related deaths globally. Its main toxin is a, uh, a manatin, um, which cannot be destroyed by cooking or drying and can result in liver and kidney failure. In early stages, death caps have a white creamy color that can resemble edible straw mushrooms. Oh. Um, and they typically grow under oak trees and are found in Victoria and the Australian, cap- uh, and the Australian Capital Territory, but rarely in other states. So they seem to be pretty localized in Australia, but also I guess it says in 2012, two people died in Canberra after eating death cap mushrooms at a New Year's Eve dinner party. Um, that sounds like a dare. Yeah. So don't, um, don't, if you're visiting Australia, don't eat anything with mushrooms in it. <laughs> well, okay. So let's go back real quick to what we know about Australia. Australia is hot. Australia has more deadly animals per, I think, square inch than any other area in the world, now the mushrooms also can kill you. Yeah. Literally everything in Australia can kill you. Yeah. Oh, I'm looking at straw mushrooms. that I guess they had to be pretty early because uh, 
They look quite different than the adult picture of the adult, the full-grown mushroom death cap that was there. The other thing I found fascinating about this, and I sent you the excerpt when I found it because I was searching for it. This is from the Washington Post article. Death caps, which taste delicious, according to people who have mistakenly eaten them and survived, (laughs) uh, look similar to other non-poisonous mushroom species. I mean, how weird is that? Yeah. So there's... I don't have this, but there are people. Fugu is another one of these things, which is the puffer, the puffer fish that um, can kill you if it's not prepared correctly. There's a a draw in some people to experiencing something that, like, the experience itself is heightened because of the danger, right? Like, I don't know what fugu tastes like, but people say that it's pretty tasty. But also knowing that it could kill you makes it tastier. That's would be the opposite for me. If something could kill me. I'm either not going to try it or I'm going to be so nervous the whole time. I'm not going to enjoy the experience. These are people who are thrill seekers, right? Fine. I don't think this lady's ex-in-laws were thrill seeking to eat some death cap mushrooms in a Wellington. Right. <laughs> you know? And, you know, I don't care how great crocodile tastes. Don't drop me into a crocodile pit with an axe and, yeah. you know, tell me to fix my own dinner. Um it, it's just uh, ludicrous. Okay, here's another question for you. Because at the bottom of that paragraph that I was quoting, a possible antidote is available in Europe but is awaiting approval um, in the United States and elsewhere. It, I don't know what they mean by possible, so I don't know how proven uh, this is or or unproven. Um, but uh, here's my question. if the If this antidote was... 98% effective, right? Yeah. Um, and you had some in your hand. Would you eat a death cat mushroom? Just for the experience. I mean, if somebody I trusted told me, like, look, you've got to have this thing. You absolutely have to try this thing. It's the best thing in the world. Then at that point, yeah. But then I'm also sort of negating what those folks get out of that, like, danger response. Yeah. Because I'm like, well, I'm just going to jam this needle into my leg afterward in case i start dying yeah what if it prevented death and prevented any need for any sort of organ transplant but you still went through like gastrointestinal hell the next day or the next couple days well then probably not as a younger person i may have done that but man i'm in my very early 40s now and gastrointestinal distress that's an important thing to me (laughs) it's not something that i'm sneezing at well i mean i think it's part of it is like uh uh, commensurate or uh, um, conditional to the amount of responsibility that one has. Yeah. So, yeah. like, you don't have time at work to disappear for an hour because something ain't right inside. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it's okay if I skip class to sit on the john uh, for as long <laughs> as I need to. Like, that's going to be fine. The world's not going to end. Um, you know, it's not like kids are going to go hungry if that happens. However, as an adult, you know, there are other repercussions for such things. Yeah, that, and nothing tastes good enough for me to be like, well, I might die and leave my kids fatherless. Nothing is that tasty. Yeah, I mean, I stay away from uh, Papa John's garlic sauce. I stay away from Papa right. John's, but Papa John's garlic sauce in particular, I haven't had in years, and it didn't it didn't wreck me that bad. I mean, it's it's you know, uh, uh, the next day I I regret it um, for it, probably a half hour or whatever. But I'm still, it's like that's enough to turn me off to Papa John's pizza. <laughs> I'm not gonna do it. Well, and the other thing is about this whole thing, I am to a certain degree in awe of mycologists and people who do foraging on their own anyway, because 
the amount of confidence, the amount of training, the amount of study you have to do to be confident doing that for yourself is one thing. But if you're then going to either turn it into a business or in some fashion you are turning that stuff over to someone else, that's that would make me far too nervous. Let's say I went mushroom hunting and I was like, oh, I know what these mushrooms are and I grabbed them. Do I then hand them to somebody else and be like, eat these? I can assure you they're not poisonous. Not with what I know right now. And I know kind of a lot about mushrooms, but I don't go out and pick them myself. That's crazy talk. I get them at the store or I... I order them from a purveyor, right? Then yeah. if somebody dies, it's the purveyor's fault. It's not mine. Yeah. And so that's, I mean, that's like a lifelong study. And I don't know, uh, we don't know the uh, circumstances of the invitation, uh, what the motive would be entirely, because we could may possibly understand the motive, for, or not understand, comprehend the motive yeah. for the uh, in-laws. Uh, but I don't, maybe the other, the the perhaps the pastor was involved in some marital counseling this is complete conjecture on my part like why the other two people i don't know right but right. the thing the thing that sets off murder flags is the fact that her and her kids completely fine like did not yeah. eat the same food that the others did and how does that happen that's right. just really suspect so for the murder bells are ringing um, we don't know. We don't know for sure, obviously. Um, but uh, just reading what we've read, it seems that it was uh, mushroom murder. Yeah. I mean, that's a whole new class of murder right there, mushroom murder. Yeah. <laughs> Fungicide? Yeah. There you go. I mean, that's technically the murder of the mushrooms themselves. Yeah. But still, yeah. <laughs> Ugh. Yeah. Ugh. Yikes. I don't, I don't want to feel like I am in danger from my food pretty much at any given time. You know? Right. Like, the most danger I want to feel is, like, when we went to the McHenry County Fair and I got um, funnel cakes that were very hot. Like, I was, <laughs> I was a little bit in danger because of how hot those were. But that's about as far as I want to go, right? Well, you know, speaking of this, um, you, don't, you don't, like, um, go anywhere, order lobster, and have your EpiPen ready. Right. You're not like, hey, why don't you wave some, uh, just uh, wipe those lobster shells over my uh, plate before you bring it out here to me, <laughs> or anything yeah. like that. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I, most people with food allergies, I don't think, do that. There's no one with a peanut allergy that's like, I just love peanuts so much that I'm bankrupting myself on EpiPens so I can have my PB&J. <laughs> right. You just don't do it. Ugh. And that's just for simple allergies. I mean, we're talking about, this is a mushroom that, as far as I can tell does nothing but kill it's it's just a, a murder mushroom and yeah. that's its whole job right and it and seems to do it very it, well yeah somebody chucked it into some dinner yep best case scenario this lady is guilty of negligent homicide times three yes possibly times four worst case scenario she tried to kill her husband last year and that didn't work and she's trying to kill her ex-in-laws this year and succeeded but to be honest good honor for not killing herself or her kids that's that requires a level of forethought. So of course that makes this premeditated murder as well. Not that you would accidentally murder somebody with a mushroom, but good to not include the kids in the plot, you know. Yeah, and if I mean I don't know how, where the tip on the uh, food dehydrator came from, but I mean that's a huge deal if it's like that was hers, like why yeah. did you throw it away? Why did you throw it away now? And were there knives and other things used? in the preparation right. of that food that also, you know, disappeared because you're not just, if I know I'm preparing a murder mushroom, I'm not just wiping it with my towel and then preparing <laughs> my right. food with it. Yeah. 
Um, so, bonkers. And the only reason to dehydrate mushrooms, because you don't use dehydrated mushrooms in a duck cell, would be to concentrate the effect. That's the, like, this, let's, let's just conjecture for a moment here that the lady intended to kill those people that she killed. She really went out of her way to dehydrate and sincerely, like, she made the death cap mushrooms more deadly by dehydrating, by removing the amount of moisture that was in there and keeping everything else. That's wildly premeditated, if this is all true. And of course, if I were to do that, hell yeah, I'd get rid of the dehydrator. That thing would be gone. Because yeah. I would never trust it to make right. banana chips ever again. Yeah. They'd be banana death chips. Death banana, not good. Not right. good. Right. Though I think that was your nickname in college for some reason. Yep. <laughs> Had to get that tattoo removed. <laughs> well, you didn't have to. <laughs> Look, I'm respectable now. <laughs> I wonder, maybe this is something we should think about, not really think about, but it would be a nice, fun little uh, thought experiment thing. If we were to host a dinner party to kill people with the food, what would we use? With the intention of, like, trying to not get caught. Because I don't know that I know enough about, like organic poisons like this mushroom to be able to construct something like that without making my search history so overtly this guy's trying to figure out how to poison people you know so you mentioned fugu and there is a colombo episode that revolves around that um and what they it was the um so the guy was killing um a restaurateur because he had create, he was a reviewer, restaurant reviewer, and he'd created this um, extortion scheme where the restaurants would pay him, and then they would get good reviews. Ah. Um, and he would, you know, come swing by every however often and give them good reviews, and then uh, so they were basically paying, <clears throat> excuse me, paying protection money to him. Yeah. To avoid the uh, the bad reviews, and the one guy wanted out of of the whole system or whatever, and so he went over and had an argument. And then he left, and then the other guy um, um, had drunk some wine, had some wine, and then left. And it was wine that the one, um, one of the uh, kid that was working for him had just brought up from the wine cellar. Mm. And so uh, they they initially they couldn't figure out what it was, and uh, then Columbo figured out it was fugu because of some random stuff in the show. You know, he goes over to the other guy's house, and they where he had prepared fugu for this guy that he knew that had flown in. Um, because if you pre prepare that correctly, it's not deadly, right? It's if you yeah. do it incorrectly, dead. It has some sort of a, a, like a venom sack in it, and so you have to butcher the fish in a very particular way, because if you nick that sack, the whole fish is compromised. Yeah. And I think just recently someone died of that, too, like recently within this last year. But anyway, the way that he had done it was he had coated the corkscrew. Well, it wasn't huh. a corkscrew. It was a compressed air sure. th thing you know a uh, cork de decorker yeah. i don't know what you call that cork popper yeah yeah and um he he'd coated that needle or put it inside the needle so that when he jabbed it through the cork and hit the button it shot the poison into the wine hmm. as the cork was extracted and that's how he did it and then he wasn't there when it happened and no one you know initially knew what it was until colombo figured out what to test for because right. uh the forensics lab didn't know um what kind of poison to test for so that was the fugu way at least via colombo 
I don't know. I wonder if it's ever been. Um, I'm gonna do a quick search just to see. We. Um, so many poisons are bitter, and that's why we have a very visceral reaction to bitter flavors when we're younger, because as creatures, we're designed to dislike bitter because bitter generally means something is poisonous, right? And I read uh, um, in a memoir, in a journalist memoir, he was talking to a fellow who writes murder mysteries, and he asked him that same question, and the guy said, well, probably the easiest way to get poison into somebody would be put it in their coffee because the coffee's already bitter. And so they're not going to notice the, you know, whatever the, the right. if it's strychnine or if it's, uh, I can't come up with any good poisons right now for some reason. I'm not much of a poisoner. And uh, the journalist was more horrified because the guy was making coffee at the time. And he said, what you could also do is make someone administer it to themselves by coating the inside of their coffee grinder with whatever that poison is. And then when they grind their coffee, the just that action would loosen it up and they would brew their own poisoned coffee. And the journalist then sort of politely refused the cup of coffee. He was <laughs> well, you know, I didn't find that, but I did find this. And I don't know what this is going to do for our appetites. But um, in 2009 in West London... Uh, Alakvinder Chima was murdered through the use of a poison derived from a plant which contains a highly toxic um, uh, alkaloid. Sure. Um, and Singh, who, who is the I guess the the guy that killed her, um, oh Lakvir Singh, um, became known as the curry killer due to the food in which the poison was added. Um, yeah, I mean, you would want to do something that's that's very flavorful because, again, most of these poisons are uh, very bitter. They're alkaloids. But I feel like the um, – also I found that there is a – from the Japanese senru or Japanese senru verse. So I don't know exactly what this – whether it's poetry or I don't – because I don't know what that is. But the quote is, uh, last night he and I ate fugu. Today I helped carry his coffin. Yikes. Yeah, so yeah, it's it's a known thing. But uh, the the thing I, um, with any if food murder, if anyone's writing a food murder mystery, which is the only thing we're talking about, um, uh, <laughs> would be yes, would be um, the fact that you're alive. Like, how do you how do you ever justify or you know um, what's the reason that you didn't also die? Right, right. Because like you said, with fugu, it's like the you you don't trust any of the fish. Unless you scoop some out and you set it aside and then you nicked it. <laughs> right. And then you try to, you know, um, situate it that way. But, yeah, I mean, if you're if you're poisoning food, you know, like, well, I had pizza. Well, why did you have pizza sure. when you made them, uh, you know, a uh, beef Wellington pie? That seems that seems like an odd, odd thing to do, don't you think? Right. Well, and again, that's that's a lot of trouble to go to to very obviously be the survivor. And if you were the survivor and somebody else had made the food, then no suspicion whatsoever. But if you come over to my house and I make you dinner and you all die and I don't, well, I clearly killed all of you. <laughs> Which I would not do. Yeah. <laughs> As we've heard previously, I was only able to come up with one poison. I don't even know how I would get a hold of strychnine. Isn't that the one that you put into the, the well and then the town has to relocate? Which remember. one? Strychnine. What, what, oh, say, I'm sorry, say the whole sentence again. 
Oh, I think Strychnine was famously used to poison a town's well at one point, and that's my only association with that. It, it and then could they have had been. to like move the whole town. Yeah. Um Yes, highly possible. Um I did find an article, this is from twenty twenty two, but it happened in nineteen eighty six where someone poisoned their wife with Fugu. Um uh, so Strychnine that's one of those like it's a very literary uh or or uh fiction type I mean it's used in fiction a lot, I feel like Strychnine is. So it turns out it comes from Anne of Green Gables. <laughs> so I'm not certain how it is I know this because I'm I'm certain I've not read these books. The quote is Mark my words, Marilla, that's the kind puts strychnine in the well. <laughs> yep. You'd think I'm now according according to uh, homeopathy, sure, right? That if you keep diluting it, diluting it, diluting it, diluting it until there's no measurable bit of it left, then you know you can drink that and become immune. <laughs> right, like so, iocane powder. Yes. Um. But uh, no thanks. Yeah. Like even if it was like, hey, but strychnine tastes so good. I'm like, yeah, I'm I'll I'm I'll pass. Yeah, no thanks. I know there is at least one poison that tastes like almonds, and I forget which one it is. But even then, like, I don't like almonds so much that I'm going to be like, well, maybe it's poison, maybe it's almonds, I'm going to try it. No. Yeah. You know, like you know what else tastes good much. is sugar. And you know what you shouldn't have too much of? Sugar. Man. Ladies and gentlemen, if you're looking for a highly produced podcast to listen to, so that's like the the other end of the spectrum from us. <laughs> with like, I mean, these are these are real journalists who are doing this thing. Look up a podcast called big sugar and it is just what it sounds like it is an investigation of the sugar cane industry here in the states and all of the corruption human trafficking human suffering how bad it is for your body like all this stuff turns out that up until about 300 years ago steve we as a species didn't really eat sugar and now we eat nothing but and uh it's probably just as bad for us as all the aerial spraying yes <laughs> Well, that's what they're spraying the aerials with. It's sugar. It's sugar. <laughs> they're just coating the earth in sugar oh, to prevent man. the weather from changing or something. I right. don't know. Okay. So I've only got one more article, but it's delightful. And this is what I want to end on because it's, uh, if not a happy note, at least the weirdest thing we've talked about in a while. Okay. This is right here in Chicago. This is someone that I honestly would not mind getting a hold of and talking to. So. This comes from Block Club Chicago, which is microjournalism. They do, like, neighborhood-to-neighborhood -neighborhood journalism, and it's tremendous. I uh, support them financially. They send me emails all the time with, like, here's what's going on in your area, whatever. And it's – the reporting is, like, within a couple – that's why it's called Block Club. Within a couple of blocks, here's your news, right? This one's called Reading Between the Rhines. Local woman can read your fortune using cheese. <laughs> did you uh, read through this article? I did. Tyromancy is the ancient practice of fortune-telling through the observation of cheese, and its renaissance is being conjured here in Chicago, uh, in Andersonville, which I used to live in Andersonville, which is kind of awesome. And Andersonville is exactly where you would find somebody who yes. can read your future with cheese. There is no better neighborhood in Chicago for that. Yeah. Did they get the water tower back up? Random question. Random <laughs> thought. So, I already read this part, but I'm going to read it again because there's more information. So, 
Tyromancy is the ancient practice of fortune-telling through the observation of cheese, and its renaissance is being conjured here in Chicago by local, quote, kitchen witch Jennifer Billock. <laughs> yes. There's more to cheese than meets the eye, said Billock. Every piece of cheese tells a story. The 40-year-old Andersonville resident, side note, why it's important how old she is and how much she wanted that published, who knows, <laughs> uh, who is a freelance journalist and author is now offering workshops and private sessions for individuals, groups, and even corporate clients on how to use cheese for divination. First thoughts, Steve. What do you think about this? Um, about divination via cheese? Yeah. I mean, aside from the fact that we're both totally in, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> what are your first thoughts? Uh, um, yeah, so that that aside, uh, I do wonder um, it's uh, what what cheese um, is the best. Well, like what cheese knows the most? <laughs> That's a great question. I do not know the answer to that. I would think it's going to be a very veiny blue cheese or something with uh, lots of uh, you know structure like that in it. Because what else are you reading otherwise, right? So uh, how do you how do you learn to read cheese? Google so, doesn't translate into cheese, so I don't know where this knowledge comes from. <laughs> cheese to English Google Translator. Quote, from the number, placement, and depth of the holes in the cheese to the appearance of its cracks, craters, and veins, each piece of cheese has its own unique way of revealing something about your life, she said. Mold, patterns, size, and shape are all clues to a person's potential destiny. So... I do not want to cast dispersions. This sounds delightful. I love everything about this. However, having said that, there is... How to put this? You can read tea leaves. You can read chicken bones. There are all of these sort of random-esque things you can do. Dice. There's the Tao Te Ching. There's all of these things. I, I know people who have... Uh, books of quotes where they when they just kind of need an answer to something they'll just flip to a random page and whatever that quote is is supposed to guide them in some sense I feel like each one of these methods is just a mirror right you're gonna see what you need to see regardless of what the medium is and in this case the medium is cheese and I already love cheese so as far as I'm concerned I might be looking down the barrel of my new religion <laughs> I might be a devotee you know, it, maybe it's just because we both read this um, that that's in your brain. But she or the article here says uh, something very similar. If I can find it now, um, I, I thought open it was to a random page. I thought it was toward the bottom about the mirroring. I did find it interesting that it's not made up that this is ancient. Quote, the craft came into prevalence in the Middle Ages when cheese magic was often used to sniff out a criminal from a lineup. I want to know more about that. Yeah. Well, some of these were just like, uh, so it was saying like if you um, want to, if, if it's a, a complicated question, like which of my children will be successful, you could set different pieces of cheese out and see which one is eaten first, with the eater being the answer to your question. I don't, I don't know whether they meant eaten. <laughs> like, so if wh whichever kid eats the cheese or, or do you like, is each one have a name of a child underneath the cheese and the cheese that is eaten over the plate that says Ben, that means Ben's going to be successful versus Ben ate the cheese. I don't know. Um, those seeking a yes or no response could carve the words into a piece of cheese and wait to see which became moldy first, indicating the answer. Right. Um, I also feel like part of this is like, okay, well, uh, if I put them in different parts of my house, I know which part of my house is moldier because that's, <laughs> right. that's the, 
Like if the question is, is my living room more moldy than my kitchen? And I put a piece of cheese in each and then the cheese in the living room gets moldy first. The answer is yes. Yeah. And if, if the one in the kitchen gets moldy first, the answer is no. The kitchen is moldier. Um, so I think I found what you were talking about. So right at the very bottom of this article, ladies and gentlemen, quote, ultimately her practice is about providing a service to people who are curious about their lives in a way that's intended to be fun yet helpful. Me, I totally appreciate that whole sentiment. Continuing on with this quote, Billock says she relies on cheese to make existential queries feel more concrete. Once you talk about how your life has been and what you've been going through, she said, you really see that mirrored in the cheese. Now, that's what I was talking about, that like reading tea leaves, looking up into the sky and seeing something in a cloud, right? Like that's not in the cloud, that's in your head. But not in a you're crazy kind of way. It's just you are seeing a reflection of what you're already thinking about, which is fine. And I, I believe that that is something that actually is super helpful to people when they're trying to work through a thing. Great. Um, the kind of problems I have, I never want to see mirrored in cheese because I love cheese too much. And I don't want cheese to have to go through that. You know? <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'm also reminded of it. I'm sure it's a quote from something, but it's an X-Files episode, I believe. And uh, isn't it Scully that tells Mulder or v- vice versa that a dream is an answer to a question that you don't know how to ask? Something like something that. Something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, so that 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 type of uh, a situation. She does mention that um, uh, the vast majority of readings, about ninety-five percent, she said, resonate with the client, and about seventy percent of the readings, which seems rather low to me, showing a positive outlook, which means thirty percent don't. But yeah. like a powdery brick of soft Lingenberger, some future stink. It's not often that things are are ending poorly. She explained, but I do like to point out that when it does. Um, or that when it does show that because, uh, but I do like to point out when it does show that because everybody goes through trials. Yeah. I also don't want to be tried by cheese. Oh, no, no. I don't need to be challenged by a cheese except gastronomically. Like if yes. I eat a cheese and I'm like, this is really complex. Great. But if I'm like, hey, cheese, how am I doing? And the cheese is like, I don't have time for you right now. That's different. That's yes. very different. Or yes. the cheese looks at me and goes, you don't want to know. Yeah. I don't need yeah. that either. If I'm like rolling cheese curds and they're constantly forming a frowny face, no, thank you. <laughs> Guess what's getting breaded and or uh, battered and fried. And I, again, I want to make sure that we're not mocking this lady because I love, I love every aspect of this. Let's say it is just a grift. Great, you've you've invented or happened onto a delicious grift because everybody gets the cheese too, right? Like, it's not like then she goes, haha, you just bought me a bunch of cheese. Like you just get to have your cheese. Awesome. Also, if she's helping people, who cares what the method is, you know? Great. Also, she seems to be making a living doing this. Also great. However, the idea of the Tao Te Ching where you're throwing down tiles and reading what comes up. Oh, man. Could you do that with cheese curds? Could you have Tao Te curd? <laughs> I mean, there's if you especially if you had uh, you just you got to run up to the cheese castle and you've got to get like four different kinds, four or five different kinds of cheese curds. And then uh, roll them so that you have, you know, if you've got your your white and your yellow and then your one with the green flecks in it yep. and um, and whatever else. Oh, man. The last time I was at Mars Cheese Castle, I got buffalo wing cheese curds. Unbelievably good. <laughs> I knew what my fortune was at that point. I won. I was successful. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I have a feeling that... Um, she may take this a lot more seriously than I do, though. I, and I don't know if she's making a living off this because I, doesn't it say also that she she also works for uh, uh, book club? 
she or, she or writes for Block Club as a freelancer, and she's also just a published author. Not just, but she's a published author and a journalist in her own right. So yeah, yeah this is so, probably not the bulk of her employment. But one of the things I definitely do appreciate is where it talks about just that. Uh, um, I think it's up toward the top here. Uh, um, the practice, uh, yeah, dates back, yada, yada, yada. Um, well, anyway, it talks about how, um, oh yeah, th- uh, today themes of tyromancy can be seen in the video game The Witcher, where cheese is used to, for fortune telling in the form of fondue. Um, but just that it's also, and I, I don't know uh, if it's tyromancy in, in specific, but I'm sure there's other similar kinds of things going on in just some of the fantasy stuff that's on some of the streaming services and on TV right now. So, I mean, Strike While the Iron is hot. So, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah I mean, if and this was a one-off thing that she did, and she's hoping to do it again around Halloween, which I think is appropriate. Close to Halloween, she hopes to have another event at Uve. Is that what it, am I pronouncing that correctly? Um, I will have to, yes. Interest in her last event there uh, result on her wait list. So it does, it, it is a, it does seem like a fun, for entertainment purposes only, um, date night sort of a, you know, let, let's not go to the melting pot because there's right. those folks are like aerial spraying crazy. But True. let's, um, you know, let's go and have some fun with this uh, cheese reading thing. Yeah. And it's another thing where if you are in the right mood and you've got a fairly open mind, you can legitimately learn stuff about yourself that way it can turn into one of those magic eye paintings where you turn just right sure and a sailboat comes out of the thing <laughs> a sailboat comes out of that cheese you know oh man now if you could somehow if like every cheese when you cut it open was a magic eye that <laughs> would be trippy uh i appreciated this billock has been into witchcraft and the occult since she was a teenager uh, earlier in the article she talked about pop witchcraft which is happening now where she yes sort of separates herself as a practitioner from people who are just like i'm goth or whatever uh and later moved her craft into the kitchen she is a certified tea specialist who reads tea leaves and makes custom spells from herbs at the start of the pandemic she expanded into tyromancy inspired by both her love of cheese and the art of reading energies that's the thing that caught me about this article reading energies so i am not religious i'm not terribly spiritual if the force was real i would be the first one in line to get me some of the force but that's the part that sort of draws me to this is that's what i've always understood about any of these things is that when you look into something that's essentially randomly ordered you're going to find the answer that you probably already had in your head anyway to the question that you've got but that you were either not ready to face or you hadn't fully fleshed out or whatever reading energies is a great very brief way to say that I like it. My reading energies are pretty easy to understand. If my brow is furrowed, I've just read a word I don't understand. Uh, I, I, um, I, I think this is funny, although I think they omitted a sentence um, for the paragraph right under that. I absolutely love cheese, she, she shared. I literally eat cheese every night before I go to bed. The sentence they uh, took out was, she is currently single. <laughs> I like, just, I imagine... Not like middle of the night, but she's probably would be very fun to hang out with and to just be like, let's go eat some cheese and talk about cheese and yeah. talk about tyromancy and cheese. Yeah, that's that is just a uh, fart joke for me yes. uh, yeah. about uh, what cheese would do to me if I ate a piece of cheese ev- literally every night before I went to bed. Um, I don't think it w- anyone would enjoy it, but it would be revenge for the dogs who, you know, yes, don't care when and where. I made a mistake yesterday. So we were talking. 
because we got together yesterday on my way back to Chicago, and I did find an Arby's to go to. Ladies and gentlemen, I will not apologize for this. Uh, I am not an Arbomancer, right? Like, I don't find any sort of spiritual upbringing or uplifting in, in Arby's. In fact, I understand as I'm eating it that it is abject garbage. However, there is a part of me that just fucking loves Arby's, and I, I will not examine it because I don't want it to go away. I go to Arby's maybe once every, like, five years, but I ate two of their half-pound uh, roast beef sandwiches. I had a medium Dr. Pepper. So that's mistake number one. I did that. <laughs> it's like 3 o'clock in the afternoon. And then I was not hungry for dinner after I got home and took care of the chickens and unpacked and did some cleaning and all this other stuff. And so it was like 7 o'clock at night, and I was going to sit down and watch a movie. Mistake number two is I chose this movie called Monster Hunter, uh, starring Mila Jovovich. It's nobody's fault as far as the actors are concerned, but that movie is terrible. <laughs> so that's mistake number two. And I made myself a giant bowl of garlic Parmesan truffle popcorn. And that's what I essentially had for dinner last night. And I woke up this morning in about a 65% distressed situation. <laughs> that didn't go away until probably 10 o'clock in the morning. Like and I the, worked through it or this morning, but there was like yeah. I was in danger. The I was garlic in danger. sweats, the yeah. beef sweats. That whole thing, yeah. Beef <laughs> right arby's roast beef whatever it actually is because it should have quotes around it the roast beef part has mathematically scientifically the perfect amount of salt where it's like just almost too salty but as soon as you finish a bite you're like i need to have another bite of this stuff they've got the salt dialed the fuck in and the bun is exactly the amount of sweet where you're like, is this bun kind of sweet? And then you want another bite of it immediately. Yeah. They've got it nailed. I don't know what that chemistry is. I don't know what that math involved is, but they've got it figured out. I feel like one of the things that a lot of the post-apocalyptic films uh, have come out in recent years has been missing is Arbomancy. Yeah. Um, I mean, come on, strike, strike while that iron is hot. We need in some future you know um dystopia the people are reading you know maybe maybe arby's isn't even open but you have to go find what used to be an arby's and go into their kitchen and find per perfectly preserved gray meat lump and um you know right. read your read your future well catch humanity in 200 years we're post-apocalyptic it's an environmental disaster catastrophe whatever everybody's living at on mountaintops which are now essentially shorelines and you know all learning all electronics all of that's been destroyed or lost or whatever and there is a church except it's an arby's and it's a brand new theology based on the arby's menu right because that was the only structure that survived and so of course it had to have some sort of a holiness to it i'm here for that whole story tell me that whole story <laughs> i'd watch the fuck out of that movie and it's the the priesthood is called the arbomancers and uh Mountain Mountain Range A are the beef and cheddarites, and Mountain Range <laughs> B are the uh, um, big Montanas. Yes, and they, they don't like each other. There's a feud, some kind of feud yeah. going on. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Or it's Arby's on one mountain and Hardy's on the next mountain, and they're having like a holy war of some sort. Yeah. See, we, I've I don't know why. I'm, I mean, other than personal bias, but I feel like the. Hardy's Mountain, that would be like, they would be real, like, backwater hickish. Yeah. Um, banjos and, and stuff is what they have in their mountain, whereas the uh, <laughs> Arbomancers, they're more, um, even though technology's gone, they're wearing, like, 
you know, plastic stuff, and uh, they're they're more sleek and uh, may have lasers. I don't know. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it is it's interesting in a morbid way to think about. Okay, so like when society collapses, what is going to survive? What's going to look like it's important? You know, like the whole idea of humanity completely erases itself, and aliens come to this planet as archaeologists, and they go to Florida, and they're like, these people worshipped. A really goofy looking giant mouse like this was their <laughs> god like well no that was just disney but like what sort of thing are we leaving behind yeah cheese and arby's apparently <laughs> indeed do we talk about the guy who was killed by parmesan and bring the episode down before we before we finish up um i feel like we should and then i want to talk about one other thing so oh, maybe okay. it'll bring it back up a little bit um but yeah i mean this was again a tragedy and uh, I had seen a, a brief thing on it as well, but I, I didn't read until, uh, um, or maybe I had read it and then uh, dove into it a little bit more. So it was the BBC. Yep. It- Italian man crushed to death under falling cheese wheels. So keeping in mind, ladies and gentlemen, that Parmesan cheese, when you see it either in a uh, little container all ground up or you see like a wedge of it or whatever a wheel of parmesan cheese weighs around 85 pounds i have seen them in the wild i've seen them on the hoof Uh, i had to cut one in half at one point and it is a process that takes hours because you take a knife that's specifically designed for it and you press it into the side then you remove the knife go around to the other side and press it into the exact same side and you keep doing that all the way around until you've essentially perforated it and then it kind of pops and you can flip flip it open right but it takes a long time it is an intensely dense heavy sort of slick because there's wax on the outside wheel so yeah that's that's the culprit and these um i'm sorry i'm doing some math here well let me let me bring everybody up to speed giacomo ciparini 74 years old was buried when a shelf broke in his warehouse in the lombardi region on sunday firefighter anton Antonian? Ducey told uh, the BBC. The collapse created a domino effect bringing down thousands of wheels, which, again, each weigh around 85 pounds. It took 12 hours to find the man's body. Um, and someone... Uh, I th- uh, Maybe this was from the Washington Post article. A friend and neighbor of the victim told NBC News that... Um, Gio Parini and his son uh, Tiziano, who was 50, had gone to the facility after getting an alarm signal from a machine that cleans the cheese wheels, which were being stored in the aging room of the warehouse. After tending to the problem, Tiziano left while his father restarted the machine, NBC reported. Tiziano told me he heard a massive noise. He turned around and saw his father buried under thousands of cheese wheels. So this guy was on his way out, and it happened. Um, and, and then they have a picture the Washington Post did, uh, because I'm picturing like a bookshelf in my room, uh, <laughs> you know, is what I'm picturing. And these are special cheese shelves. They almost look like um, each cheese is on like a pizza peel. Yeah. And they were, it, I, I counted, I think it's hard to count because uh, the top of the picture is cut off, so you have to go back a little further. But it was like 22 of these high, which is that, just that is almost 2,000 pounds of cheese for one row. Imagine a Costco where the shelves go all the way up to the ceiling and it's 85 pound wheels of cheese uh, all the way up as far as you can see. And I mean, just one of those falling from the top is going to kill you. Yeah. 
Um, so to have uh, thousands of these, uh, I mean, that's just um, crazy. And then also, I mean, so much I didn't know that they have uh, robotic cleaning um, machines in the warehouse, uh, presumably for the, to prevent mold. I imagine, yeah. Uh, because it did mention that they were finding other um, cheese uh, makers, cheese mongers. Do mongers sell or do they make? They uh, sell. Uh, so cheese makers in the area t- um, where they could uh, store the cheese so they don't lose all the you know money from the from the cheeses uh, that were you know still in the warehouse that that were unscathed or whatever. Because uh, uh, that I, that's how long does you have to age, age a cheese like this? Parmesan is usually around seven years, I believe. You get something like a Grana Padano, which will always say how old it is. It'll be like a five-year age or that sort of thing. But I believe Parmesan is closer to seven. So, uh, yeah, th- I mean, that's um, like whiskey or whatever then, right? I mean, if you yeah. lose if you lose it, you, you can't just make more because, it, you know, you're going to have that hole in your uh, inventory for, for whatever year that is or, or a couple years. This article from the BBC indicates this, which I think is out of place, like a man has died. But, the, uh, quote, the economic damage caused by this is estimated at 7 million pounds, which pounds to dollars fluctuates a lot, but it's roughly double. So it's roughly $14 million worth of cheese. Yeah, well, seven, it was 7 million euros, 6 million pounds. Oh, my bad, my bad. So um, 12, 12 million dollars. But, uh, but yeah, I thought it was phrased really oddly, too, because I think in the other article I was reading, it was like the cost of uh, uh, rebuilding the, the shelves, but also the, the machinery, the robots, uh, the mold-killing robots, or, or the cleaning robots. Yeah. Like, that was a big chunk of the, the cost, because so much of that uh, infrastructure in the warehouse was damaged. But, yeah, my man uh, did lose his life, and... Uh, and then you know the the economic damage, which maybe it's a very British way of of <laughs> stating that I don't know, but um, yeah, madness, right? Yep, and they were very specific to to indicate that the ones on top, the cheeses on top, as they fell, they would have fallen. They're eighty five pounds. You remember this eighty five pound wheel of cheese would have fallen thirty three feet before it hit the floor. That's going fast. That's fast, heavy, slippery, dense. Like, I, the best thing I can say about all of this is that that dude died. I would say roughly instantly. There's, there was the dude. This fella did not suffer. Something like this has never happened, even during the earthquake in 2012. Thousands of wheels fell back then due to the tremors, but nobody got killed. Uh, the NBC News article says. Um. It's they, wild. It's just the kind of thing you would never expect. Yeah, they will now have to establish what caused the shelf to collapse and whether, um, uh, yeah, so um, they have to figure out uh, what what that what like what it was and and I mean with the earthquakes that have been there, it could lead back to that like things were yeah. damaged in one of those that that was just never caught, and it could be that that's why the alarm had gone off to begin with because the machines. Um, the one guy was saying they uh, these machines clean and rotate the wheels so that um, when we find so when they find them even slightly out of place they send a warning. It's a common problem. So um, Giacomo and his son went there to adjust the wheels. So yeah, who knows? And that warehouse, according to that report, stored up to twenty five thousand wheels of that cheese at any given time. So it's a massive operation. Yeah, because that wheel of cheese. Also, 85 pounds. It's 
two and a half feet across. I mean, they're big, big things. Yeah. Now, it, for some reason, the NBC News article, and again, this is just picking nits at this point, um, but they say uh, each weigh about 20 kilograms or 44 pounds each. But still, I mean, half of 2,000 pounds is 1,000 pounds is still going to kill you. Yeah. yeah. So I don't, I don't, I don't know the, whether these are as big as Parmesan or not. If they're talking Parmesan or 85, and this one, because it's not quite Parmesan, is something different, or if NBC News is just wrong. But still. I was not allowed to lift the one that I cut in half by myself. So it was definitely more than 44 pounds. Because I could pick up a 50-pound case of apples and just walk away, right? Yeah, yeah. Not that I'm admitting to ever stealing a 50-pound case of apples. But like <laughs> I remember when I worked at the fancy hotel in Houston, we had that for... They had renovated the whole dining room and the kitchen and the bar area as well as the chef's table area. And they had two days worth of like invite only previews to the new operation and that wheel of parmesan was part of the was part of the cheese centerpiece of that that thing do they carve it out do you have to carve out the no no you said you cut it in half right cut it in half and then what you do is you use it's almost like a trawl you uh um sort of chip pieces out of the middle and then leave that in there leave that tool in there so that people can just either grab or poke them with a toothpick or whatever but then you can chip more out as the evening goes on parmesan is extremely interesting because as you get closer to the center of the wheel it has more moisture still because it dries out from the outside in and the color deepens so it's a more of a creamy yellow whereas parmesan is the fully dried and aged stuff is more white and it's sweeter it's less salty like it's a really interesting cheese However, as soon as you cut it in half and it starts being exposed to the air, it the interior starts drying out more quickly. So it, it's it is that way for a short amount of time. I do um I do enjoy a nice parmesan um on a uh, what would a cheese and meat plate be? Charcuterie board. Yeah, charcuterie board or or as a uh, appetizer or whatever. It's good stuff. If you ever get the chance to take Parmesan cheese, it's the simplest thing in the world, ladies and gentlemen. It's almost hackneyed at this point, but there's it's it's hard to improve on something that's this simple and direct and perfect. Parmesan cheese, a little bit of honey on it, you're good. You're good nice. to go forever. There are certain things that work. There's no reason for them to not work. Just let them work. I have yeah. burrata in my fridge. I have tomatoes I picked out of my garden when I got home yesterday. I have basil growing on my counter. That's what I'm going to have for dinner tonight because I had a ribeye... Uh, well, because I had all that Arby's yesterday and all that popcorn, I need to eat a little bit lighter today. And uh, that's what I'm going to have. Is a burrata tomato, uh, either basil pesto or fresh basil salad, has it been done? Yeah, but it's fucking great. And it's always going to be great. There's just no getting around it. There was a New York Times article very recently, which was blasting burrata. Hey, restaurants, stop foisting this terrible cheese on us. And it's like, listen up, New York Times. You don't know what the fuck you're talking about. Burrata is glorious. And if you don't like it, that's fine. Don't need to shit on it. Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I never was a blue cheese person. I'm really still not. But I forget what it was I had it on. And it may have been at CJ's. But there was something um, that I had it on. And it clicked as in terms of I understand I understand why this is a thing. Um, and so I'm not afraid of it anymore. Whereas before I used to be afraid of blue cheese for whatever reason. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's lots of things out there. It's like, there's a reason people really like this stuff. And um, 
you know, usually the reasons are are warranted. Um, so this is still sort of cheese related. Okay. I sent this to you, but I just need to know that I'm not crazy. I'm going to read you this. I get emails from New York Times Cooking. Not that oh, I can yeah, read yeah, anything yeah. because I, like I, I can't. Uh, I, I'm not subscribed to the New York Times, so I can't click on anything and actually read it. I can just read the little newsletter. But this was the headline. Um, These tomato cheddar toasts are, ex- are extra summery. Um, and uh, it, throughout the article, calls them toasts. <laughs> and I can think of no context in which toasts is the plural of toast. Maybe if you're saluting someone with a glass of champagne and you do it over and over again? Yes. Would those that would, be many toasts? It would be. A series yeah. of toasts. Um, but if you had white bread and then wheat bread and then sourdough bread, all that was toasted, you would have had a series of toast. Yeah. Not toasts. So I don't know what's going on, New York Times. These tomato cheddar toast well you'd say this this tomato cheddar toast are extra yeah. summary so i don't know whether you're just trying to appease these <laughs> but the, grammatically i don't know i don't know why you you chose toasts because well, it's it's only one the, it's only one recipe it's not like they have a variety yeah. of recipes of cheddar tomato toast they it, it's just the one and they're calling them toasts there that was exactly what i was going to say if this picture had cuz it's you can see that there are one, two, three, four, five, but the fifth one's cut in half. Pieces of toast here, right? So if what they're just trying to say is that there's many there, you're right. They still want to say toast because it's all the same thing. It's just multiples of the same thing. It would be like if there were five ham sandwiches there, right? And it said, these ham sandwiches. Well, no. It's not those particular, like those five ham sandwiches right there are extra summary. It's the concept of ham sandwich right it's this ham sandwich right here yeah as a concept not as an individual physical item i mean and i think it'd be more akin to saying these ham sandwich i which is like no nobody <laughs> right, says right. that that's not i mean yeah. i i any of you any listener i challenge any of you to walk into a restaurant for breakfast and when they come around and you're ordering and say what kind of toasts do you have and see if they don't look at you like you're an alien yeah. Um, because no, it's what kind of toast do you have? Yep. Um, or do you have wheat toasts? <laughs> what? <laughs> and my thought was, well, maybe if it's something different, but I can't even think of what it would need to be for me to call it toasts. You know, if it was more than one, um, because you you are you're toasting it. But if it was like, well, this is this is a lemon toast. So and this is a strawberry toast, and they're toasts. So they're, you know, they're different than, like, I guess, toasted bread, which is what I consider toast. Right. Um, I think what it is is what you're saying. I think if, as long as it's the same recipe, there's no reason to pluralize it because it's all the same thing, right, conceptually. Yeah. If, yeah, it was an avocado toast and a balsamic goat cheese uh, strawberry toast and there was also a bacon jam toast with arugula on it, maybe you could say this group of toasts because each one of them is sort of distinct from the other ones. But in this particular context, no, there's no reason for them. It's yeah. just pretentious, right? New York Times food starts at pretension and goes up. Yeah. That's how they operate, right? It's their market. It's how they've been operating for 100 years or whatever. And the other thing we're running into, Steve, this happens now. The market and the internet is so hungry for content that this stuff has to get pushed out so fast that stupid mistakes like that 
are going to get made. Or if that was done intentionally, you and I are the only ones who caught it and are caring about it at all. Because well, yeah. that's on to the next thing already. Are they trying to foist toasts on me? That's my question. Are like, they trying to change uh, American English to 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 read toasts instead of toast? Um, and like restaurants now in New York for breakfast, they have a subsection that's toasts. Toasts menu. Yeah. So maybe. I, I believe that there's definitely a spaghetti test kind of a thing going on, which is I bet you they do that a lot, hoping that they're going to coin a term. And every time they don't, they're like, well, whatever. Speaking of, um, it's not spaghettis. Right. No, it's spaghetti. It would be pastas if you had rotini and penne and you had tagliatelle and you had something else. But if it's a whole shitload of spaghetti, it's still just spaghetti. Well, even one of those, it's not. This is a plate, a plate full of zitis. No. No. That's how children speak. <laughs> yes. Maybe this was written by a child because it is just cheddar and tomato on bread. So yeah. Um, and I don't know what makes them extra summery. Tomato, I guess. It's about tomato season, right? We're harvesting tomatoes, kind of. Well, and that's the other thing. We're seeing, like, recycling is... We're we're getting diminishing returns. How many articles can you write about tomatoes when you write 20 articles about tomatoes in early August every single year? Yeah. This is the same. You just wait. It's going to be Thanksgiving stuff, too, very soon. And how do you write something new about Thanksgiving? Yeah. Well, and maybe, I mean, if this was a way to make this fun for whoever wrote this, because I didn't actually, in the screen grab, get the name of the author, then, you know, kudos. I'm glad that you found a way to annoy me and make your life um, enjoyable (laughs) as you were writing this thing about tomato cheddar toast. Um, And speaking of annoyances, I just saw a thing uh, somewhere, and I don't know where, I didn't see where it was, maybe be duncan that pumpkin spice is back yep somewhere already it's august so i encountered that at my favorite retail store in the world tj maxx because i am kind of (laughs) trash i will go i will go to tj maxx motherfuckers to browse i will go there with no intentions whatsoever (laughs) it's the best never believed in retail therapy before and now i'll go into tj maxx that's my uh Tyromancy. What's wrong with me? I don't know. I'm going to go into a TJ Maxx and wander around till I find the answer. <laughs> That's what it is. Uh, I found a candle that looks like a Starbucks cup with a lid that was pumpkin spice latte, which I bought for a friend of mine because uh, he loves pumpkin spice lattes. And I gave it to him and he sniffed it and he went, is it that time already? And I said, no, it's not. But now you have this to tide you over. And it turns out I was wrong. Yeah. Well, and I, I like I said, I don't know where it is already. Uh, but I guess that would be fall in August. I mean, we're we're close, but I would think at least September, guys. At least let's wait till September for the pumpkin <laughs> spice. Um, but but we are getting close for all the pumpkin spice lovers. And it's got to be the thing. It's one of those things though, where I think if pumpkin spice was year round, no one would care. Yep. It yep. only people only care because you can only get it at a certain time of year. And the 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 longer that stretch is, I feel like the less novelty it's going to have. So yeah. retailers beware. So I still have like 900 cucumbers in my backyard. Should I do a pumpkin spice pickle? Now that I've said that out loud, pickling spice is not that much different from pumpkin spice. Oh, really? Yeah, it just doesn't have the cinnamon. There's like, there's allspice in there. There's clove in there usually. Not always nutmeg, but like your your own pumpkin pie spice is only five. I just made a ginger pickle that also had uh, pickling spices in it, so... 
of five spices that you make pumpkin pie spice out of, you've got three of them in there already. Bet I could do it. All right. So How this, gross is that going to be? I, I think you should do it because if you have the extra to find out, you may as well, right? Yeah, yeah. What if you love it? That's the that's the scary thing. That is the problem. And I'm going to have to make it like a super sweet pickle, which is fine. I can do that. Because so far I've made, Steve, I'm, I have a problem. And my problem is that every time I make a batch of pickles, it's like 18 jars. And I've made three batches so far. And these fucking cucumber plants just keep making more babies, <laughs> right? I don't know what to do. Like, uh, oh, if he wants them, I guess we'll keep making them. Yeah. I mean, I do know what to do, which is I'm not growing cucumbers next year. Because now I have enough pickles to last me the rest of my natural life. <laughs> but I made a regular dill pickle. I made a spicy pickle. And I made a ginger garlic pickle. And they're all good, right? I don't eat a ton of pickles, but now I have them. I'm probably going to barter with them. I'm probably going to gift them. And Ladies and gentlemen, if anybody wants some pickles <laughs> and you got something to trade, <laughs> hit me the fuck up. Uh, very soon here, all of my tomatoes are going to ripen up and I'll be able to start making sauce as well. But I do have a bunch of these cucumbers. What if I made pumpkin spice cucumber pickles and they were good? It would be easier to do like a pumpkin pie spiced cauliflower or red onion cucumbers have a distinct flavor that does not jive with pumpkin pie spice you think <laughs> well i mean yeah until until i try it see i think you should do it and but if it does if it's something that is like wow these are banging you have to you can't call it pumpkin spice pickles because i don't no. think that'll sell you'd have to call it something else um autumn harvest pickles yes <laughs> <laughs> okay so this brings up some other questions just to touch base on some things okay. um uh have you found a use for the eggnog spice at all yeah uh you know what it's really really good in is uh french toast batter oh nice that would be good we made some snickerdoodles with it nice um and that's it was those really good as well okay what about chicken salt have not even tried it yet i keep forgetting about it Okay, chicken salt, I think, saved us on the adult <laughs> uh, or uh, the, the fully mature zucchini when we made that oh, thing. Oh, okay. Because it's so flavorless, Yeah. chicken salt brought a lot to the table there. It was really good. Um, I don't know if I said this before, but now it's apropos because I also just got the seeds in the mail today. Uh, instead of cucumbers, I'm going to be growing zucchini, yellow squash, and green beans over the chicken coop next summer. And those three things in particular because i know my kids will eat them so if i grow a ton of them then i know my kids will eat them so i will use chicken salt on that i'll i mean i'll cook zucchini between now and then so i'll give it a shot on there yeah i thought it was pretty it's got to be i mean uh my thought was this has no flavor what has flavor i know chicken salt because it was right there in front of me <laughs> on the uh spice cabinet yeah um or spice rack uh, so yeah, I think anything that's real mild or, you know, you want to be a little salty, but also add a little something. Sure. Um, Ooh, maybe I'll put that onto my burrata and tomato basil salad tonight. Oh yeah. <laughs> Cause the burrata, I tried to get better burrata. Sorry, New York times food. There are levels of quality with burrata. I get that part. So if you're only going to restaurants that serve you the garbage bell joyoso burrata, which is also what I have in my fridge fine i get you but don't hate the entire species yeah <laughs> because you're getting the bad stuff um have you tried the coffee maple syrup yet no i have um, not tried that we haven't made like a big once the kids get back probably this weekend we will um probably do a big breakfast and i can try that out that's the that's the extent of, i can't remember if there's any other spices or things uh 
out there. We have we tried the other. We got the two supermarket versions of coffee syrup when we were out in Connecticut. I don't know if I mentioned that. There's um, I Auto- don't remember. Autocrat is one I think maybe Eclipse or something like that is the other. And the biggest difference there, because it's really just three ingredients, if you look at Dave's coffee syrup, it is yeah. coffee, sugar, or maybe that's it. I think Water. it's I think that's it, yeah. And then they reduce it down. Um, so the biggest difference is that instead of sugar, it's uh, high fructose corn syrup ah. in the store ones. That being said, it's not it's not bad, but it's a lot looser, which surprised me. Even after it's been oh. refrigerated, it's a lot um, you know, it's not as syrupy as as Dave's, sure. Which I found uh, curious, um, but that's that's it for new weird things that you can either shake or pour in this house. I think. <laughs> yeah, I've just been getting lots of seeds. So I have that gem corn. I have those zucchini and uh, yellow squash and green beans and the dick peppers. So I have those uh, <laughs> those seeds ready to go as well. Luckily for me, they're not labeled. I know what they are. But uh, they're in a clear. They came in a unmarked package, which is you know very <laughs> kind of them. And you've got to wait till spring to plant those, though, right? Or this is all next year stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So oh, I can't wait. In you'll have to let me know. If not, have you told anyone that you have them? Absolutely not. This is so you have be to let me know. The most glorious surprise. Yeah. Anyone notices? Hey Ben, what do those peppers look like to you? Yeah. Yeah. I'm I'm looking forward to that. Um, here is another thought for the chicken salt. Um, as think, as long as we're thinking of pumpkin spice as well, could you roast some pumpkin seeds and do chicken salt on those? Oh yeah, 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 that'd be good. Yeah. Of everybody in my house, my daughter is the biggest fan of the pumpkin seeds. So huh. Never would have guessed. But yeah. She loves them. Your daughter is a very interesting person. Yes, she is. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, my son, going back to blue cheese, we went to a farmer's market and he asked for blue cheese at the the cheese shop there. And uh, nobody else was eating it, I guess. Like, I go through phases. Like, I'll be way into blue cheese and then I'll stop for a while. And there was one day that he was just cutting it up and he was going to eat it with crackers and um, like a fig jam. And uh, I said, is that the rest of it? And he goes, yeah, you want some? And I was like, yeah, I'll, I'll take a piece. And he goes, nobody else was eating it, so I'm just going to finish it off. And I was like, all right, you know, you, you do you. Great. Nice. That and smoked gouda. He's way into smoked gouda these days. Uh, I'm a fan of smoked gouda as well. I will say this about blue cheese. It does really just melt in your mouth if it's yeah. a um, – I presume if it's a good one. If it's a yeah. bad one, I don't know. If it's a bad one, it's Swiss. Um, <laughs> something else entirely. Yeah. But I have an imminent thunderstorm mm. about to hit Chicago, and I need to go out and uh, check on the chickens and such before that happens. I could do it during yes, the yes. thunderstorm, but then I would get all <laughs> wet and gross. And yeah, I need to make and sure you that don't want an running around. article written about man struck by lightning and chicken coop. Right. Yeah. So I think we should wrap this up. Anything else you wanted to touch on before we do that? Nope, I'm good. All right. Well... Ladies and gentlemen, once again, if you have anything to add, if you've ever uh, poisoned your in-laws <laughs> to death with uh, death cat mushrooms or have any update on the poor kid in Ionia County who um, lost his hand, we would love to know that. The best way to get hold of us is in the weeds, WBR at gmail.com. My Instagram, which again, I'm on a lot, is uh, Chef Ben Randall, and we have a Facebook page and Facebook group. And Steve runs a website for us. In the weeds, WBR.com. Where you can find more information on all the articles we talk about and some articles that we end up forgetting about and not talking about. So 
that information is all there. Mm-hmm. Like that's all I've got, Steve. Ditto. All right, for In the Weeds with Ben Randall, I am Ben Randall. And I'm Stephen Cable. Talk at you next week. Bye-bye. <laughs>